1: Hi, I'm David, and I'm Jordan, and you're listening to Board on the
2: Air, a re- weekly radio show in Saskatoon. And this is what have you been playing Tonight's Show we're going to talk about Habitats,
3: a two to four player game by Corne von Morsel.
2: Yeah, that sounds all right. He is best known for Nova Luna and Factory Fun and Factory Funner. Uh, Nova Luna and Habitats have a lot in common. Uh, Habitats came out in 2016. It just got a new edition that just delivered through Kickstarter, and that's the edition we played. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nova Luna came out three years after Habitats. Looks like they've modified the game a bit from the original edition. Uh, but the gameplay itself is very similar to Nova Luna. Yes. And borrows from or Nova Luna borrows from it. And it borrows from Nova Luna as, it, as it's changed. Yeah. On your turn, there's a grid of, you know, I think ours was four, four by five. five. Yeah, four by five. And there. each person had a Jeep. And you're driving a Jeep to pick up either an animal, a flower, a... Watchtower, a campsite. Watchtower or, camp tower, or a campsite.
3: Entrance, yeah. tourist.
2: Yeah, there's, there's a few different tiles. Uh, all of them have a color... And all of them have a, a, a basically a type of score. Yeah, animals will score
3: based on terrains if they're connected to the correct ones. Yeah. Uh, watchtowers care what they're looking at. Yeah. Uh, flowers just give you one point. Yeah, and so on and so forth.
2: Uh, you're just gonna go around in cir- in circles. You're gonna play three rounds. Each round has four. No, two end game scoring. Or two end of round scoring. Two
3: end of round scoring. The first round for us had eight actions. Second round had seven. Third round had seven.
2: Yeah. uh, Depending on how many people play is how many times you go around that circle. The drafting, as you said, is with vehicles. You start
3: off on one of the edges and you can move either left, right, or straight. Yeah. If there's any vehicle in your path in any of those directions, you just jump over it and get the car card
2: or tile on the other side yeah you can never go in reverse uh so the direction you move your jeep has to stay in that jeep until you turn left or right yep uh this this had the upgraded meeples so every tile is different in the game so there are i'm gonna say 60 animals 60 animals and there's 60 different animal meeples so it was pretty cool and they did a pretty good job of the meeples. They they yeah. look pretty similar to what the art is, and the, and it uh, yeah it yeah would,
3: you could find them. Yep. There was some times where you would look for a certain color, but they would be a completely different color. But that was just that's minor. Yeah, that's yeah. that's just you're looking at the terrain type, not the actual animal.
2: For sure. Uh, so at the end of each round, the only scoring is those goal tiles. At the end of the game, you're going to score for the goal tiles. And you're going to score for animals. your animals that you completed, your...
3: Flowers, your, your watchtowers, your entrances if they've been completed, your campsites if yeah, they've been completed. Yeah,
2: your, your, whole, your whole game board, your, yeah. your uh, tableau. Uh, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Nova Luna as well, but I think I liked this version of the mechanics better. Uh, and I like the tactileness of the... Meeples. Meeples. And, you know, so you, you take a tile, you take that meeple. Once you complete that tile, you, you put that meeple on that tile. So you know it's going to score at the yeah. end of the game.
3: Just note that these animal meeples aren't in the base game that's getting reprinted. It's going to be tokens.
2: Yeah, it's a little flag or something. Same thing, it's going to tell you if you've done it or not. Yeah. Uh, Nova Luna, they use little discs and...
3: Each player had their own disc, and once yeah. you complete all your discs, that's when the game ends.
2: Yeah, that one is more of a, a race mechanic. Yeah. Uh, this one is a set number of turns, as we said, and then you're scoring. I enjoyed this one.
3: It, As you said, it's very similar to Nova Luna. I sort of like the fact that you had the same number of turns, because in Nova Luna, you can take a tile, but if you take it too far ahead, you have to move your disc that far, then you have to wait.
2: Yeah, there, there's a timing mechanic in Nova Luna that can cause you to sit there for a while while the people behind you keep taking turns. Because uh, if you take a what they consider an easier tile to complete, uh, it means you 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 have a a longer timing mechanic. Yeah. Uh, where if you take a harder tile, you can go again right away. Uh, I don't mind that in the game itself. But playing it this way, I I, I just found it quicker. Uh, I found it smoother. I found... uh, You weren't like, okay, whose turn is it now? Yeah, nobody's gaining advantage as to, you know, how they're taking tiles or anything like that, you know? Yeah. And and everybody's board is the same number of tiles, so it's a lot easier to track whose turn it is. Yes. Uh, So that is Habitats. Uh, Anything else you'd like to say about it?
3: uh, They had a nice bag to draw the tiles out. Because you take a towel, you put a towel down. Be careful because I kept hitting my mom's... Uh...
2: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're passing a towel bag around and you can <laughs> knock over people's animals and that type of thing. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of space up on the board no. uh, or on the table. So it, it's it's easy that way. And it's it's very teachable to everyone. I, I yeah, think anybody could play this game.
3: It's a very good
2: entry level to the medium. For sure. Okay, I'm David. And I'm Jordan. And we'll talk to you next week.
4: Hello, my name is Alex, and I write board game reviews over at
5: MeeplesAndTheMoose.com. And I'm here to talk about the games I played this week for Watch'man Playing Wednesday. Over the last four weeks, I've been chronicling the games that I played during Cabin Con 2022. Now, it's been more than a month since my last true what Been Playing Wednesday report, but don't worry, you haven't missed much. Between getting sick, laying new floors, and just general December chaos, I haven't really been playing that many games. But I'm back to my regularly scheduled gaming, and so here's what I played this week. The first game is Underwater Cities by Vladimir Suchi. Underwater Cities is a worker placement game with a card action mechanism tied to its core. Along one side of the board are a row of green colored action spaces, then along the next side is a bunch of red colored action spaces, and then along the final side are yellow colored action spaces. On your turn you need to choose a board action and then play a card. If you play a card that matches the color of the board action you took, you get to do both the board action and the card action. If the colors don't match, you only get to do the board action. So what's the point of these actions? You are competing against other players to build the grandest underwater metropolis. You'll construct population centers, tunnels to connect to population centers, and buildings to support life under the ocean. Desalination plants, farms, and laboratories, all of which produce various resources. The desalination plants, farms, and laboratories can also be upgraded, making them produce more during a production phase. And if two upgraded buildings of the same type are connected to a single population center, they will produce even more. Resource production only occurs three times throughout the game. Once after round four, again after round seven, and once more at the end of the game. Now, the first age will have you feeling starved, barely able to scratch a living off rocks. The second age, you'll feel progress, and in the third age, you are swimming in resources. Underwater Cities is an excellent game. The worker placement slash card action mechanic is immensely satisfying it feels so good to play a card matching the action allowing you to have a combo action on every single turn because there's only three colors the odds are that there's something you want to do with the cards that you have in your hand i love the arc of the game how it feels impossible at the start of the game to do anything but then by the end of the game you're left trying you're left trying to figure out what you should prioritize the engine builds slow but it roars to life by the end The interaction you have with the other players really comes down to blocking action spaces, which can be extremely crucial. Going last and having the two action spaces that you desperately want to take in before you have an opportunity to go hurts. It can be worth spending a whole action just ensuring that you get to go first the next round when all those action spots are cleared again. There are are also some situations in where you might really desperately want to take an action, but you don't have a matching card. It hurts to be quote unquote inefficient but the core of the game lies in the board actions and the cards are helpful and wonderful, but they aren't the crux of your strategy. Now, I hear a lot of comparisons to Terraforming Mars, but I don't think it's that fair of a comparison. Both are engine building games utilizing cards to perform many actions, but they're quite different games. If you're prejudiced against Terraforming Mars, I would encourage you to give Underwater Cities a try. The next game I played this week was Burgle Bros 2, the Casino Capers. Now, this was a birthday gift for my wife that we're only getting to now. She and I are huge fans of the first Burgle Bros, and we're very excited to get this new game from Tim Fowers to our table. If you haven't played Burgle Bros, here's Lowdown. You and your friends are cooperatively trying to break into a building, crack the safes open, and escape with the loot. The floors are made up of a 4x4 grid of face down tiles, one 4x4 grid for every floor. And on your turn, you can either peek, which flips an adjacent tile face up, or move onto an adjacent tile. If the adjacent tile is face down, you flip it up as you move onto it, possibly triggering effects of whatever effect is on the tile. Other actions are available on specific tiles, like adding dice to safes, hacking computers to deactivate alarms, and rolling die that have been cached on the safe. While you're sneaking around offices and searching for treasures, guards are patrolling along predetermined paths. If you sound an alarm, they beeline to the tile where the alarm was sounded. All players have three stealth, one of which they must forfeit if they end up on the same tile as a guard. And if you need to forfeit a stealth but you have none to give, you're, you're caught. And because there's no honor among thieves, you immediately rat out your comrades and you all lose. Burgle Bros 2 comes in a much larger box, but actually reduces the size of the map just to just two levels. There's only one safe to crack, but now there's little poker chips littered on all the tiles, which may affect you when you either move onto the tile or peek at the tile, imbuing a little bit of chaos into the mix. Instead of stealth, players never accrue heat. Get six heat, and you lose. Speaking of losing, we lost real fast. What cinched the game for us was that I peeked onto an adjacent tile. I was feeling fairly safe as I had two ways to go to avoid the guard on my floor before the end of my turn. The tile i peeked at just happened to be the destination for the guard and i had plans on moving right through it the tile had a prima donna chip on it which immediately pulled me onto the tile the tile ended up being a lounge which had me draw a random event from a deck of cards that random event swapped the guard and their destination dropping the guard right on top of my head and overloading me with heat i think it would be a little bit remiss to not talk about the production of burgle bros 2. As I said before, it comes in a much bigger box than the original Burger Bros. And that's because the game box comes with these four legs that you can attach to the corners of the box and flip it over. And so you have a two-layered production. We found this to be a little bit annoying. Like It looks really cool on the table, but functionally, not a fan. We probably won't be playing with that feature again. It's just hard to see underneath the box. You know, you're craning your neck to see the tiles on the far side and it's just not worth it. Looks great though. Now, I've only played Burgle Bros 2 once, but it felt a lot more random than the first one. Maybe it's just my level of familiar- familiarity with the original, but I didn't come away immediately loving this new game. I'm determined to play a few more times and figure out where we went wrong, as I still do love the Burgle Bros games. They look great, and paired with a thematic soundtrack, they make for excellent game nights. And that's all I have to talk about this week. If you want to read more of my board reviews, check out my blog <laughs> and have a happy Wednesday.
6: Hi everybody, this is David from the All Games New and Old YouTube channel. I've been away for a few weeks because I've had a heck of a cold, which made my voice kind of sound like a toad a lot of times, and put me in kind of a bad brain fog, which I'll be getting to shortly. I have been playing a game though. I've been playing Veil Wraith from Holler Nothing Games. Now this is a solo game, or at least it is out of the box, although if you have multiple copies, you can play it multiplayer. This game takes place in a fantasy world. It is the same world as their Kill Fourth game, so Gloom of Kill Fourth, Shadows of Kill Fourth, etc. But in this game, the world has ended. You play as a Veil Wraith who is going around basically trying to help release spirits into their afterworld and rid the land of some of the creatures that still roam it, trying to hinder that. So this is basically like a mini campaign game. There's five scenarios or vignettes as they're called. You can play just any one that you'd like to, but they recommend playing them in order. So uh, when you start, you're going to pick the vignette that you're on, and it's going to tell you a a boss monster for that vignette. And it's also going to tell you what creatures are going to be in the threat deck along with that boss monster. You're going to grab five key cards that will help you attain your goal at the end of the game. And those all will be shuffled together so that the key cards and the boss are kind of in certain uh, chunks of the threat deck. So they will be coming up on a fairly regular basis. You won't just have all of them show up at once. Your deck that you're going to be using is called your Memory Deck, and it's going to have cards that will help boost some of your actions. Now, you have three actions you could do as far as interacting with the threat cards go, and they are Fight, Explore, and Insight. So you're going to have cards representing those actions out on the table, and they're each going to be underneath a numbered token that's numbered one through three. So depending on which token it's under, the card is going to be at that power level. So when you start, you're not going to have any cards in your hand, but you're going to play a card out from the threat deck and resolve anything that is on the card that is supposed to happen when they are played, and then you're going to draw one of your memory cards into your hand. What you're trying to do is you're trying to match or exceed a certain number on those threat cards. So if I play out a goblin card and it has, let's say, a fight score of 4, that means I need at least 4 points in fight to defeat it. So if my fight card is underneath the two token, I right now have a base of only two strength, but I may have cards in my hand that I can play down that will add strength to that. So on my action, then if I could do that, I would play out that card to boost my strength to four. I would turn that action I used 90 degrees so it's on its side. You can only do that once per turn unless you have a card or ability that lets you do otherwise. I can also turn one of my other actions to a 45 degree angle and put a plus one bonus token on it, which will help me later on in the game. If I had had that when I fought that goblin, I could discard one of those to give myself that one point boost needed to help fight it. Now, after I've done all my actions, if there are still threat cards out there, they very likely will do some sort of damage to you. You only have 20 health points before you are knocked out. So you want to get rid of those as fast as you can. Then you'll take whatever card you use and you'll move it down to the lowest power level so in the previous example if i had turned that fight card that was underneath the two power i would move it down to the number one space and move everything else up one this is very similar to how the cards work in arc nova for instance now the goal for each vignette is to defeat the boss that's in the deck and then also get all five key cards because when you defeat those when they come up they just go in your tableau and they have abilities that you can also choose to use on your turn Uh, If you could get through all of that, then you will bring the portal card out, and that will also have a number that you have to defeat. If you do that, you pass the vignette. If you get through all the bad guy cards and you still haven't beat the vignette, then you reshuffle the bad guy cards with the archfiend card into it. If the archfiend card comes out at all, you are immediately defeated. Now, you start the game with five silver ribbon tokens, and those count as basically your lives. So if you lose on a vignette, you get rid of one of those. If you ever lose all of them, then your campaign ends and you have to start over. So you want to hold on to those, obviously. After each vignette, you will have uh, usually a reward that'll be... Explained on the vignette card and you could usually upgrade one of your cards So all your started cards are level 1 you can then go look through the other memory cards to get a level 2 card If you already have a level 2 card you could upgrade to a level 3 card And when you upgrade you get rid of the card that you upgraded from So your deck does change Uh, it talks about having deck building elements and that's as close as it gets You're really not building your deck throughout each vignette Now despite this being a campaign game, it is not very narrative, there is a backstory, but it doesn't play too much of a role in the game, and you're not really following a story as you go along. When I first played this, I had that terrible brain fog, and I was getting a very basic rule that was written just fine, completely wrong. And as a result, the game was way too easy, and I was getting really frustrated because I almost couldn't figure out how I could lose when I felt just a little better one day and I reread the rules, I realized what I had done wrong, and now I realize the game is actually quite challenging. I can't get past the first vignette yet, but that is way preferable to having a game that is way too easy. The art in this is gorgeous. Everything is in black and white all the tokens, all the pictures on the cards. But the art is very, very pretty. If you've seen any of the Killforth game art, you kind of know what to expect, although it is maybe slightly different. Some of the art is probably sexier than it has to be, but it is well done. Now, the components in the game only take up about a quarter of that box. So you can make an argument that the amount you pay for the game is kind of iffy compared to what you get in the box. I think they're trying to leave room for expansions. But, you know, it it is what it is. Uh, This is a game that I see myself pulling out occasionally every now and again, but because it's not a very deep game really, more like a a quick uh, puzzle that you sort of work yourself through, I don't see myself playing it very often or for long stretches of time. That being said, you know, if you're interested in a really quick, light, easy to learn campaign game that has a kind of cool, interesting theme to it, it's worth checking out and uh, the artwork alone is worth seeing. I have an unboxing going up uh, this one, so some public today that you can check out on my channel. Again, channel. In the meantime, I'll see you all around the table.
7: Hello, and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You have Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge helping you make your game nights better. Now I've only got two games to talk about this week and I'm gonna get right to it. The first is Boba Mahjong, which I've mentioned here in the past. This is a two player only set collection card game where you're making sets of three cards and then keeping one of the cards from that set to use for scoring at the end of the game. Now I'm still enjoying this game quite a bit. It's quick playing and simple to learn, but has some really interesting decision spaces. Now, most of these come from a three card market that's set up from the start of the game in which you can use one card from each time you're making a set. So you can use two cards from your hand and one from the market or three cards from your hand. Now, where it gets interesting is after making a three card set, you do keep the one card to score, but it's where those other two cards go. Those get added to the market in any order you wish on top of any of the three piles or split up. So you can put them together, you can split them over or whatever. Now, I found there's a eureka moment in this game the first time you realize that by discarding the right things in the right order in the right places, you can make a second set in your turn. And then if you plan really well, you might even be able to get three sets in one turn. Now, another such eureka moment happens when you realize that having a hand with six cards straight sounds fantastic, but it's not actually a good thing because there's pretty much no way you're going to get to keep all of those because you're only going to get to keep one from each set of three. And even if you combo things properly, it's almost going to be impossible to keep all six of those for final scoring. So it's just two things that kind of came out as emergent while we're playing that actually made the game better. I really dig that for a simple to learn game, there's a lot more going on here than it looks. Now, the one problem I've now found after playing the game multiple times is the amount of AP or analysis paralysis at the end of the game. Where your two players are sitting there trying to pick which of their scoring cards that they've collected through the game they are going to use for final scoring. You're only allowed to use six and the game ends when one player has played their tenth. So one of the players is probably picking between ten cards to find six. And the other player hopefully has a good set as well to pick from. This can take so long that I have even had a game where figuring out which cards to use for endgame took longer than playing the game and collecting those cards. There's just various different things to score, like sets and straights and multiple different types of cards and pairs. There's like all these different things to score and they all score different amounts of points. And it's just no one that I played it with, myself included, has really internalized all this. So it's like, okay, what if I make two pairs and a three set? Okay, that didn't work. What if I do two sets of three? Okay, what if I do all the same color, but I don't get any pairs and so so on. Figuring that out at the end of the game can take longer than the game itself. Now at this point, I'm gonna give myself uh, a few more plays before I'm ready for a final review. I have a feeling that this AP problem may get better once I'm more familiar with the game and once I can teach it better that way too um things like internalizing that sets of the same color are actually worth more than a straight for example so you want to try to collect cards of the same color more so than you're trying to get cards all different numbers or perhaps if like if you can get all the same numbers in a straight it's even better but knowing how that compares to say having a pair because if you have a pair obviously you have to have two different colors because there's only one of each number but anyway um more place will tell me for sure if there's a little bit more to it and if that ap problem gets better and i will say the ap is not terrible It was just weird that it can take longer than actually playing through the game. Now, the other game I got to the table is a quite epic one, and I didn't realize quite how epic it was when I uh, signed up for this one. Uh, This is Horizon Zero Dawn, the board game from Steamforge, who I do have to thank for reaching out to us to see if we wanted to work together and offering me um, um, some review copies to choose from, and I chose this one as a fan of the series. And I got to thank him for this, because this is not a game I probably would have picked up on the shelf. I did not back the Kickstarter. And even as a video game fan, I wasn't sure if I'd be into the board game. And I am so glad they did send it, because it would have been a shame if I'd missed this one. Now, we played this four players with a mix of experience as far as the franchise goes. Because uh, personally, I not only beat the game on the PlayStation 4, but actually took the time to 100% it and do all the downloadable content, including the Frozen North uh tory who played with me had played it for a while but moved on he just didn't really suck him in but he played the game so he kind of knew the background now cat of course saw tory playing it but didn't pay a lot of attention so had some familiarity with the game the setting but not really much more and while sean knows nothing of the game never even seeing a trailer for it just wasn't his thing so one positive from the start with this board game is that none of that matter the game stands alone as it interesting with interesting mechanics, interesting things going on in an interesting story without having to know the knowledge of the license. That said, I will admit I was much more excited by things like the miniature sculpts, the character choices, and what machines were included due to knowing the video game. Now, the board game version of Horizon Zero Dawn takes one small part of the big video game, and that's the Hunter's Lot, and it uses that as a basis for this game. You're playing a group of hunters out to hunt down a specific powerful machine. While you will be working together, there's also fierce competition to be the first among equals, which fits the background well. Now, to get to your target, though, you're going to have to complete four hunts with a camping phase in between where you'll level up and potentially meet traders who you can trade salvage for for new gear. Again, anyone knows Horizon Zero Dawn, this all fits really well. This is rather thematic. Now, each hunt players will earn glory for things like defeating machines, knocking components off machines, doing flashy moves like attacking from rocky outcroppings, as well as fulfilling like character specific things that can give additional glory. Now, at the end of each hunt, you're going to earn suns based on how much glory you have with the person with the most glory you're getting a a full blazing sun and the person in last getting a half sun again this is all tied to the video game as well but it's basically you're getting a points for first second third with glory being almost like an area majority thing whoever has the most glory is going to get first place second most glory second place and so on now at the end of that a new pack leader could be choose chosen who gets to decide what your next hunt's going to be and the player who performed last actually gets a bonus Um, which is kind of cool it's it's a pretty huge event that gives them just an advantage in the next game which seems to be a really good catch-up mechanic as well as trying to prevent a runaway leader which I could see possibly being a problem really dig that mechanic now gameplay is solid once you figure it out it's it's a um, you get so many action points to do things like move and attack and you can attack both in melee with your bow and all that stuff Um, the thing is there's a lot going on there, there's a ton going on. You've got multiple different types of weapons. Some weapons need ammunition. Different types of weapons need different ammunition. There's rules for moving through tall grass, for moving from normal. There's a whole system for alerting the enemies. The enemies act different if they're alert and they're not. Some enemies have a deck of reactions. Like, there's a ton going. On. The rule book for this game is 50 pages long. That's longer than Gloomhaven. And then along with the rules, they're just not presented in the best way possible. And the combination of the way the rules are presented and just how many there are meant we messed up. Like one of the bellhops rules, your first play of any game is going to be extreme. Well, our first scenario, we played uber ultra super extreme. We made so many mistakes. And then Hunt 2, we're probably still like super ultra extreme. And then starting the third uh, scenario, we we were extreme for at least half of that before we even found a rule. We messed up the whole time. Uh, we also spent a lot of time Googling things and checking Board Game Geek um, and the Steam Forge page to try to find answers to questions. Now, on a positive note, every question we had is answered in the book. It's all there, but we had a very hard time finding it because the order information is produced. There are things mentioned, like on a summary of what's on a card, that are never mentioned again in the book. And it's like the only place to find out. Then when you take out a machine, you're in scrap is on the thing that describes what sections of the cards meet now. So it's kind of good that that the rule book does have everything. But man, I would have really liked an index or possibly the fantasy flight style. Uh, Here's your how to play and then here's your rules reference. Um, But it was all there. It, It was not like there were missing rules and nothing that was ambiguous, like didn't play out the way we figured it should play based on the wording. Now, another issue is the game link. Um, a, a full hunt, like the, you do four hunts and then you're fighting your boss is going to take you an entire evening of play. Uh, the game mentions that you're probably going to want to split this over multiple sections. And I have a feeling the play time of one hour to hundred to 90 minutes listed on the box might just mean one part of a hunt, not the full thing. Now we managed to play through three fifths of a hunt in one night before running out of time. And like we played for a long period It was I think it was three, maybe four hours to get through that much. Now, at that point, we considered saving our game, though I didn't really see the game having a good way to do that. But we decided on instead just to wipe it Um, just because we messed up so much. I said super duper uber extreme play like we messed up really basic things like when you dodge, you have to move a square and things that gave us an advantage and not realizing that the boards are two sided in the way they are. So it tells you to use tiles 1A Well, I assumed on the other side of 1A was 1B, but no, on the other side, it's still 1A, but for a different player count, like we messed up a little. Um, So we decided to wipe everything. Now at this point, we've still got a lot more to explore in regards to Horizon Zero Dawn, Dawn the board game. There's a lot more to look at. We haven't even finished a full hunt at this point. So look forward to me sharing more thoughts on that here in the coming weeks, as well as on our podcast. Well, that's it for what hit my table this past week. I'm looking forward to hearing what everyone else has been playing. Remember, you can always find our content at TabletopBellhop.com on the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, which you can find and download on your podcatcher of choice, including all the popular ones. And you can find me on social media as TabletopBellhop, one word. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Motu. Good day and game on.
4: What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie. And together, we're Dice and Dragons. And you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dice and Dragons, and on Twitter at Dice and Dragon.
1: What is it today,
4: Julie? I do believe it's what you've been playing Wednesdays. And what have we
1: been playing? We've been playing Wizard of Oz. Yes, this is the adventure book game published by Ravensburger and designed by Ryan Miller. This is a cooperative game for one to four players, and playing through the entire game takes about 120 minutes, as it's six chapters divided up into, well, oh, sorry. It's about 15 minutes per chapter. That's probably the best way to say it. And this is the second in the series, the first being the Princess Bride. So Julie, as this being our second game, is it sticking around the collection? Is this gonna is there gonna be a third? A fourth? I think we're going to
4: leave a little suspense and talk about that at the end. I'm going to say first and foremost, uh, this time around, I'm the fan of the IP. First time, uh, Jason uh, Jason is more of the fan. He keeps insisting that I've um, I've seen the, the movie. You've seen The
1: Princess Bride. Your mom said you saw it.
4: Okay, well, it's been erased from the memory banks because I only remember some references from pop culture. That's about it.
1: Well, you clearly need to watch it again because... It's a better movie than Wizard of Oz. I said it? Blasphemy!
4: <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, I disagree. Anyways, that being said, uh, this is very much playing through the movie of the Wizard of Oz. It's, it's a lot of fun. If you're a fan of the property, I think you'll enjoy it. However, like the first version that we played, it's a very light game. It's an easy game. So if you're looking for something that's... If you are an experienced cooperative gamer and you're looking for something that's uh that's going to be a little bit challenging this is not the game i mean uh again you're playing like six little mini games and you know that's that's fun but i really felt like we were playing through the motions of playing the game um for us for jason and uh, for, for me and jason it's not much of a challenge i would say
1: no, I think we had a little bit of uh, complexity on like two of the mini games, but then once we figured it out, it was like, oh, we might be getting into trouble. And we're like, oops, never mind. We're just going to work our way through this, and pretty much every chapter was fairly simple for us to complete.
4: Yeah, so that being said, it's not for experienced, serious gamers to play on their own, though I would say that this, again, is a good family game, same way we said with the, the Princess Bride this is a great game for families with young kids who want to be able to play a game as a family,
1: and um, love the IPs that you're going to be playing.
4: Yeah, or and I mean not not even young kids. It's a little bit of a a misnomer, I think. Uh, people that are not serious gamers or don't game frequently, don't play games frequently, are going to enjoy this. I mean, it's it's fun playing through the game. You're not it, It's not difficult to teach. Uh, yes, there's the added little complexity that you're playing six mini-games, so every time you, you think you've got the game figured out, there's there's a new, uh, a, a new game to learn or a new mechanic to learn. But it's not complex. It's really, I think, more on the light side of games. Um, so if that's something you're looking for, then, you know, this is something to consider.
1: Well, the game is definitely phenomenally thematic and locks it out of the park, but I, I'm disappointed with this. I mean, this is the second iteration in the, of the game. And it feels very much like just a reskin of the Princess Bride. They made some small changes, such as the miracles for Glinda the Good Witch, and they did smooth out a little bit of the rules, but it's not enough. Like, well, the
4: special cards also end up back in our deck.
1: That might have been a mistake that we played in the <laughs> Make first it, making Princess it
4: more, Bride. Making it harder in the first Yeah, time. making it
1: harder in the first time that we played. I mean, that's better for us because... We need games to be a little bit harder. I did enjoy the systems and how it works. Just there's not much there, and uh, with the cost of games going up, I think it's harder and harder to justify a game like this because it really ends up being more of like a one and done. Like once you're done, there's no reason to play it again. I really don't well, care I, to play you it know, this again. I would say this. Like you said with the Princess Bride, you you never play no, that no, one no, again. No, 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 and I agree.
4: I think the same way though with the Princess Bride you know younger kids uh you know might enjoy playing this more than once uh
1: twice at most it's the same thing once you figure it out it's going to play almost exactly the same
4: well there is some randomness to it because of the cards you pull but yeah
1: very very little there, there's not enough randomness to keep people's attentions for a very long period of time this is the kind of game that you play maybe once a year at best
4: Okay. Well, that being said, it doesn't sound like there's a lot more to say. I think you can figure out that I'm pretty sure Jason's gonna get rid of this game and that it will not be staying in the collection. <laughs> well, this is your
1: game, so you get to decide if it stays in the collection or not. And just might it's definitely not gonna be uh, displayed prominently. I mean, the other one got the boot from you huh, as well. So, uh, what else can we say about the game? They're worth playing once the price right to play once they come in around Sounds the $40 like you recommend mark. Sounds
4: like people playing it at a board game cafe.
1: Actually, this is a perfect game to be played at a board game cafe because you take it out, you play it, you get the experience, and you're done. So, yeah, it definitely fits that mold perfectly. So, if you
4: own a board game cafe, definitely get it. This is probably one that's right up the alley for your customers.
1: And I would say this if is this brand continues. I'm not quite sure it will. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the Choose Your Own Adventure brand that uh, Z-Man Games did where they got like two or three games out and then finally they just weren't getting enough uh, (laughs) enough sales that they stopped making them. I think this may happen. But if you absolutely love the IP, then it's going to be a fun time and it'll be worth picking up. But this needs to be like your IP. I could see picking something like this up for like Star Wars or... Something like Indiana Jones, and I'd have a blast and I have a ton of fun playing this. But for the IPs that we're getting, I just don't think it's it's worth keeping in the collection, unfortunately.
4: Okay, so on that note, if you want to hear a little bit more, then you can tune in to our video that should be coming out the day after this. And you can find that on YouTube. Otherwise, what do
1: we have to say, Jason? everyone to keep, keep playing, playing games. games. Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello!
8: And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesday's podcast, and this week we have one game to talk about. What game is that, Anna-Marie?
9: That game is Great Western Trail Argentina, designed by Alexander Pfister, art by Chris Quilliams, and published by Egert Spiel.
8: Yeah, so this is Great Western Trail Argentina, which is an entirely different game than the first Great Western Trail. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a second edition of Great Western Trail put out, but this one is just an entirely different game altogether, although it is very similar. Yeah, it's a standalone. It's a standalone game. Yeah, and it takes place in Argentina. And, um, yeah, so this one is very similar, but has some has some pretty cool differences yeah
9: and this is part of a trilogy right so they have yes. Great Western Trail Great Western Trail Argentina and that and it sounds like next year they're going to have
8: Great Western Trail New Zealand right so there's gonna be yeah the Great Western Trail is gonna be a trilogy of games yeah. now um, yeah so this one is not too uh, dissimilar from uh, the first one but it, it does have a few differences so uh, most people probably are aware of Great Western Trail, but the theme is here that you are cowboys, right? And you are rustling your cattle, and you're you're leading them through the countryside to a port, and then you are uh, sending your uh, you cattle to, off to, to Europe. To, yeah, right? and this one, yeah, you're actually sending them on boats over to different uh, ports in Europe. That's right. Mm-hmm and yeah so this game has a main board and then you have your own player board and this game is mostly card driven and worker placement more or less because the cows you're collecting are your cards so you're constantly building your your deck full of cards of cows and these cards of cows are what you're ultimately trying to sell at the end of the path when you get to the port and you have to have, when you get to the end of the port, different types of cows. Yeah. So the way it works is like there's a whole cows. which I of different never cows. had, <laughs> which I always actually had really oh. well. I lucked out pretty well.
9: I would get there and I would have, like, oh, I have four points on my cows. So I get four because I have doubles and I have a negative point. Yeah. And then you guys would have like 18 and 12. I'm like, okay.
8: Yeah. Because you know. <laughs> the way it works is like you have to, you can buy cows along the way. Yeah. And by buying cows, you're buying from a tableau. Of available cattle, and each one is worth a certain amount of points, and each one has a different cost. And depending on how many cowboys you have on your player board, will uh, dictate which cows you can actually even attempt to buy. I could also never afford to buy cowboys, so I only had the one that was
9: printed on the board. Right. So I could only ever buy a level one or a level three cow. <laughs>
8: <laughs> so that, that certainly hindered my well. uh, my chances. No, of getting because cow. <laughs> what you're trying to do is you you have a hand limit of four, so. It, to start the game with. Yeah. And by the time you get to uh, the port, you are wanting to have at least four different cows in your hand. For every pair of cows or more that you have, you're only ever going to score one of those. Yeah, you, have you get... have to basically just discard the other it's one. It's
9: basically different types of cows that you yes. get to score. Yeah. So if you have the same type of cow, they only score once. They
8: only score one of them, yeah. And they're each worth a different amount of points. So if I get to the, to the port with a four... Uh, this brown cow a three of this blue they're not
1: blue the card the background
8: is blue (laughs) yeah and then if i had like a four three a two and a one i would get to score all those points but if i had a couple of the threes of that same color i would only score one of them yeah and then you're going to sell the for that uh whatever that number is you're actually going to get that amount in cash and then you are going to have to send those cows onto a ship and in order to get them onto that ship, you have to pay either a certain amount of wheat, uh, wheat cost, yeah. or you can supplement that with just the money that you just made by yeah. selling
9: them. So like if you, if it was going to cost you, say like six grain and you didn't have six grain, you would have to spend
8: $12. It was like two yeah, for one. It was a, uh, it was a bit painful, but it's pretty thematic because you're having to feed the cows on yep. this journey across the, across the ocean. Yeah, there. So if
9: you don't have grain, you got
8: to pay them to buy or I guess. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, it's funny that this, this game is like that. I did not know Argentina sold cattle to Europe first and foremost. <laughs> that's pretty, uh, odd to me, but, um, yeah, that's what you're trying to do ultimately. And along the way you're hiring, like we said earlier, cowboys, builders, builders um, conductors builders. for your train. Yeah. Conductors for your train. Cause around yeah. the outside, just like the, not just like the first one, but similar to the first one, there is a train track where you're sending your train along, but this were, operates quite a bit differently um, where in this one, the whole point of the train track has the similar stops along the way where you're able to put out a disc and get some bonus, get some bonuses. But this one is actually allowing you to sell quicker. So the further along your train goes in this game along the track, you can actually have, there's several different selling points. So if you send that train along to the, you know, pretty far along the track, you can actually sell like, at the midpoint of the board rather than having to go all the way to the end of the board. So I thought that difference was really cool. I also like the idea about, um, on the, on the game track where it's tracking, um, the rounds that the further you go through the game, it tells you when those ships are going to sail. So as you've loaded cattle onto ships, those ships aren't necessarily going to sail yet. And those, those ships are going to sail to one of three different ports. They have different colored
9: anchors. And so you're putting your your, um, little tokens on uh, your disks on the ships with, you know, like, oh, Mm -hmm. the green anchor is going to be going first. You want to try to get at least one token on a green anchor spot so that you can get that 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 one leave
8: Because you can literally miss the boat. So if you... If you are trying to get your your cattle onto certain ships you, and you know that those ships are going to be uh, sailing before the other ones, you want mm-hmm. to load your cattle onto those, hopefully. Yeah. As long as you, you know, have hit the right number and you're able to yeah. sell to that ship. Because when could,
9: you sell to that ship and you get a disc on, um, on, in the new area, the new place, like in Europe that you're going to, then uh, you're going to get to, if you have enough wheat at it, on your next time you sell, you're going to be able to move that um, token that that disc down into a victory point yeah like you exactly. can maybe get some money or some victory points or, or a bonus like that
8: yeah because those those three locations have a whole whack of points waiting for you mm-hmm. over in europe if you're able to get your cows over there and then you can sp- yeah do the whole thing
9: and getting discs in into those spots also there are some some other cards that you can get in the game that will be game end scoring points mm-hmm. and some of those dictate oh you need to be in a western spot a
8: southern spot you know eastern
9: yeah. that kind of thing
8: so but yeah, it's um it's a great game. I liked this one better than the original.
9: I think I did too. Yeah, I, I, I didn't I didn't play the original one nearly as many times as you guys did. But um but I found this one smoother to kind of get into and understand.
8: Yeah, this one just made sense to me. Like I could just see what I needed to do and that the train thing didn't confuse me. They got rid of the whole confusing train mm-hmm. aspect of the first one and just made this train very simple and yeah. I liked it a lot. So that is what we played. We played that yeah. last night and hope to play it again soon. Honestly, I hope to get a copy of it. This- <laughs> so I think that's it for this week. And we will see you again next week. Cheers. See ya. <laughs>
10: Hi, I'm Riley from the Board Game Community Show, and I'm back for another What You've Been Playing Wednesday. What I've Been Playing is Oros. It's designed by Brant Brinkerhoff of Ash Games. It was a Kickstarter last year. I got to play it in 2020, and it has made a couple of changes since then, and I think all of them made it better. The game is a worker placement, tile shifting, tile colliding, mountain building game. Uh, It's really clever the way it's done. Your map is... A grid of squares that make up the ocean or the world maybe maybe that's more so it because you're gonna be shifting tiles colliding these land tiles into each other building larger land uh, uh, building up to a mountain where you will build sites of worship because you all the players are demigods and you'll send followers to study and bring them back and get wisdom level up your player mat and your abilities increase what things are worth Uh, it's a variety of things but when you're shifting tiles you're going to like move them off of the map and they just wrap around to the other side so it's it's kind of a globe at that point right yeah old school video game logic of oh it goes off the left side comes back on the right side but if it's a globe you know it's just wrapping around the world to the other side that makes perfect sense in the game i think what they do really clever i'm not going to get Two into like how to play this because that would take up way more time than I have. But you've got a player mat with six actions on it, and you've got followers. You're going to start out with two followers on your board. They're blocking spaces that you can't use. You're going to, your very first time you place one worker on an island out there on the map, that's your starting location for your follower. You're going to have to move them either by shifting land tiles erupting volcanoes moving sets of tiles colliding them with other ones building up the land masses and a variety of things uh it's a fun clever puzzle going on here so you your first action of the game is placing one of those followers out there then you're going to take two others one at a time place them on another spot and then do that action, place another one on another spot, that's your turn and and perform that action. Then your next turn, you're gonna take one of your workers that's taking up a spot on your board and you're gonna move them to an available spot. And so that opens up the action you just left. So if I took a worker from the build spot, moved it to the move a tile set spot, well, now I can move that same worker for my second or third action to the build spot Or, uh, you know, take one of the other workers and move them there. And then I freed the erupt a volcano spot. I think there's so many clever decisions, so many clever puzzles, both going on on your board and on the map. Where on the map, everybody's contributing. People are colliding landmasses, moving landmasses. So you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to combine those two. But by the time it gets back around to your turn, somebody else has done it. Or like, oh, I just made a mountain, so I'm going to go build there but I built it and now somebody else has built there. Well, I get to build a smaller thing, which I still get a good benefit for, but it makes things trickier. I'll go super quick over all of the actions. There shift all the tiles in one row or column, as long as there's not a mountain, unless you unlock the ability to by gaining wisdom. The next one is move a set of three. That's where things get really clever. You move the three, they will collide into other things maybe, or just move into empty spaces if they collide they will add together like a one space and a three space, will make a four. Two four spaces, make a mountain, any remainder, so if I did a three into a four, that would not be able to make a mountain because you need a four and a four, I would get a three volcano. Or if I did a three and a three, that would make a four and a two volcano. Next space is to erupt volcanoes, and those will build up spaces if they're under four. So if I had a three volcano on a two spot, Then it would go to a four and I would have one left over and I could spill it over into any adjacent spots and I could do an empty land or an empty water space and make a one spot where I would have that land connecting to where the lava just flowed from. Or I could build up a one, two or three spot to the next level with it. I could send my followers that are on my player board out onto places of worship that I've built through actions, or there's two locations on my board where I can just put them there, and they are now studying. Later, I can pull them back, up to two of them, and for each one I pull back, I gain one wisdom, and then I get to upgrade one spot, one ability on my board per wisdom, and those make your abilities stronger and cooler. Some eventually, it'll add really unique things to them, or It will make your places of worship worth more points at the end of the game. The next action is journey, and that's where I get to move one of my followers one space. If I upgrade it, I could move them up to three or even five spaces if I upgraded it all the way. And that lets me move my follower around so that I could reach places of worship or build on mountains. The final spot is the build action. So if I'm on a mountain, I've got a follower there. I'm going to use the build action. I place a monolith. If a monolith is already there from another player, I get to place a temple. If a temple's there from another player, I get to place a shrine. They each give varying uh, varying amounts of wisdom, but they all allow you to ascend up the ascension track. The ascension track is your end game trigger. It also gives you points. So each time you build, no matter what you're building, you will gain two ascension and you move up that ascension track. One, two. Somebody else builds, they go up to one, two. Oh, but they're landing on the same spot as you. That's not allowed, so they leapfrog forward to three. There's these really clever like leapfrog things happening. Once a player gets to 15, that triggers end game. You finish that round, score up your points, see who won. Art on this is absolutely beautiful. But anyways, I think there's just so much beauty in this game. There's so many clever puzzles going on two different puzzles really that main puzzles going on players are doing things that don't necessarily don't necessarily feel mean every once in a while they might or you might do something just because it's like i don't want you to get to that mountain so i've got to move that land that your followers on and get them away from there because i want to get there and build first but for the most part everybody's just trying to do their own thing and get to where they can build their places of worship I think there's so much clever stuff going on. I can't recommend this enough. I'm sure that it'll be available to buy in the next coming months as the Kickstarter fulfills. I got to go and pick up the game from the designer. He's a local designer, and, and we got to play it over there and, and refine, learn the rules from him, which was nice to be able to skip some of that rule book. I still read through it after, but yeah. Uh, it does have an automa, So if you're playing solo, you can play with two or three automa of varying degrees varying difficulties if you're playing two player or three player you could even have automa to bring it up to three or four players the automa are definitely interesting I think they're really well done I did not have an easy time beating them I came in second place actually and it it didn't feel like unfair it just felt like ooh I'm gonna have to up my game to really beat them so there you go oros that's what i've been playing you can catch the board game community show every friday i interview guests throughout the board game community they could be designers streamers podcasters youtubers whatever and we just have casual conversations try and make it feel like these are people that you know that you'd be able to sit around and talk with while you're playing board games at a game. and that's it that's
6: what i've been playing until next time
10: Nerding out.
0: Hey there, Norm here from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And uh, so what you have been playing Wednesday? Well, let me tell you, uh, I teach high school and uh, I uh, kind of slow opened the, the board game club in my classroom at lunchtime, and uh, slow open meaning that uh, um, who lots of kids that I teach kind of hang out in lunchtime in my classroom. So I've slowly brought games and said, "Hey, remember this? Remember that?" and kind of had them revisit the games that they've played, so that they can teach the new players, so that I'm not overwhelmed by the whole, you know, swarm and everything. But so let me tell you about the four games that we that we revisited and that uh, some new players got to learn, and now there's, uh, there's 20-something that are already, al- always hanging out in the, uh, in the classroom at lunchtime. So the first one that I brought in and, uh, and basically taught this new to a whole bunch that I knew had gaming experience uh, from a couple of years, before COVID hit, right? And uh, so this one's Point Salad, uh, you know, one, of, one of the favorites, uh, designed by Molly Johnson, Robert Melvin, and Sean Stankowicz, and uh, published by Alderac Games. Uh, This one is, I like the the tagline, collect groupings of fruits and vegetables with loads of ways to score points. And it's a pun on the whole Feldian point salad kind of methodology. Ha ha. But it's such a good set collecting game, and it goes 15 to 30 minutes. You can play up to six players. It's a perfect game for... Uh, you know, high school or even uh, middle school uh, board game club because it's straightforward with the rules. And uh, uh, I'm going to talk before, so I'm going to quickly move on to the next one. So Point Salad, awesome game. Uh, 2019 title, so fairly new. Uh, the next one is one of my favorites because, man, this is great for a teacher because now you can tell all of the little lying tells of your students when you play cockroach poker. ha Cockroach Poker, designed by uh, Jacques N- uh, Német and published by Dry Magier Spiel. I hope I said that properly. But uh, the tagline, it's cockroach, it's a fly. Will you call the bluff or pass on a trick of your own? And uh, this is basically for set collecting game, but you do not want to collect sets of cards because out of eight different Uh, uh, little, little uh, greeblies, there are eight of each set. So eight cockroaches, eight flies, eight you know, so on and so forth. And uh, you're basically on your turn, you're putting a card on the table. You're looking at whoever is on playing the game and you're sliding the card over and you're bluffing right away. And you're saying if it's a fly or if it's whatever and uh, the match either is you know the the bluff either either gets called or it gets moved on and if it gets called the person who uh, loses the bluff has to eat the card and thus the first person to a set of five loses and it is such a giggle and it plays 20 minutes it is again such a fantastic lunchtime board game club game uh, moving on to the next one. This is my favorite spatial puzzle. Uh, I never get bored of this game. It came out in, it's, old, it's an older title, eh? It came out in 2005, and it's Tsuro, designed by Tom McMurchy and published by Calliope Games. And the tagline, uh, play tiles and move around the board, try to outlast your opponents. So each player is a dragon and you start at the edge of the board and the board is basically a huge grid pattern and you're, f- you're flying dragons through the air. And how you're flying your dragons is everybody has a tile that represents one of the grid pattern squares on the board and uh, each tile on each edge will have two spaced out um, kind of tick marks, right? Where you will have, I call it the spaghetti road because you will have these lines go from one edge to the other which when you place them down will have this continuous spaghetti road that goes through the air flying all over the place. And you don't know the path until you build it in front of you. When you encounter uh, a, a situation where you and another dragon are on the same tile, you get to fly them, and the objective is to be the, the last dragon on the board. So you try to fly them off the board or have them smash, in, smash into each other. And this is another game that plays 15 to 20 minutes. It goes up to... Eight players. And uh, it's one of those kind of like, you know, player elimination games, but which I don't really like. But as I said, but I keep saying but. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the situation is so fast that the players who are eliminated early are back in the game pretty quick. And once again, perfect lunchtime game because it plays 15, 20 minutes. And the last one I want to talk about is if you have the abstract game types that love that chess kind of uh, strategically see your way through certain moves, I would recommend you picked up, pick up Shobu, uh, designed by Jamie Sedak, uh, C- I believe, and Manolis Vranas, and published by Smirk and Laughter Games. Uh, use your stones to push all your opponent's stones off any one of the four boards to win. So, yeah, it's so straightforward. It's so... It's so zen-looking because you have four boards. Each board consists of a 5x5 five five grid pattern. Uh, you have a light-colored and a tan-colored board on, on your side. There's a rope that divides. And on the same kind of matching sides, you'll have your opponent's light-colored and tan-colored uh, um, boards. You, there's, and of course, there's, uh, it's like uh, chess meets, <laughs> it's like chess meets somu wrestling, because you, uh, you basically try to slide in a manner of, of passive and aggressive actions. You try to program your movement and then execute your movement, and like I said, you're trying to push your opponent's stones off the board, and there's four different boards to play on, and the first one to win on any one of those wins the game. Man, this is such a brain cruncher for some people. Uh myself, I I don't know what it is. It's just like one of those weird beautiful mind things where I look at it and all the lines just kind of pop out and I go, "Oh, well, if I want to do that, I got to do this and do that and do this." Okay, I got to figure it out. Your turn, right? Um and uh yeah, and I've seen people do a four-skid, you know, pop the emergency brake lock into the <laughs> into the guardrail when it comes to uh, visualizing and executing the moves in this game. Uh, but it is... And again, it's a perfect lunchtime game because it plays 15 to 30 minutes. So uh, those all four of those games, huge successes. Now I have to slowly introduce new ones to them. And uh, so, yeah, that's what... Uh, uh, I mean, I've played some stuff, but uh, I want to talk about the stuff that the uh, Board Game Club's been playing. And uh, so that being said, uh, I got to thank you very much for taking the time to listen to what we have to say about board games. And thank you so much to the content creators for your contributions, as always, to this epic, epic 100th episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh?